0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Landlords, business owners in other uh, neighborhoods have come forward saying they have warned police uh, before in regards to anti-gentrification activists. And if you're downtown, you've seen the stickers that basically tell anybody who's coming in and trying to start anything up and basically do what we've been talking about for the last 25 years. That's, you know, plant the seeds that will blossom into a nice city. Uh I, I, I guess these people are against that and, you know, the gentrification that follows when, uh, progress. So let's bring in Krista Boyer, uh, Tri-Hamilton, and she is with us. Krista, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me, Scott.
0: Uh, so first of all, what is Tri-Hamilton? Uh,
1: so Tri-Hamilton is an organization organization that was born a couple years ago now and the purpose of it was really to highlight different neighborhoods within the city to demonstrate the potential that the potential and already the established uh, pieces that exist there and we look at it as an investment piece but we look at it as an investment piece from uh, three areas you know we look at that physical that emotional and that financial opportunity.
0: So, uh, obviously, uh, this promotes the betterment of Hamilton, what we've been talking about for decades. Uh, There's more and more people uh, jumping on board to be a part of this renaissance. Uh, You are promoting that, basically. You're trying to bring in development, correct? Correct.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm, uh, development, small business, and you know, as well, bring in you know individuals who want to be a part of the community.
0: So, w- what sort of events do you uh, run? What sort of things do you do? What has been your experience with these sorts of groups?
1: Uh, so, the first event we ran was in June two thousand and sixteen. Uh, and that the event was ran in a manner where we were highlighting Barton and Kenilworth and we we're demonstrating uh, some of the recent growth there uh, and again some of the established organizations and groups that already existed there and then we looked to the potential for that neighborhood. Uh, so we did that by setting up five different nodes throughout the area and then we toured around our guests and also had it open to the public um, for individuals to participate in our free event. Like we We raised the funds ourselves and we Uh, uh, We give out a free event, which includes, you know, food, drink, entertainment, uh, everything you expect from a really great Hamilton event. Yeah. Uh, And it was at the first event when we had an encounter, our first encounter, um, from uh, what we uh, later uh, became acquainted with, uh, the Tower on Canon, the anarchy group, where that morning uh, they had vandalized, or or probably later in the evening, actually, uh, but it was in the morning that I was alerted to the fact that they had gone around and they had vandalized all of our nodes and then, uh, you know, we we proceeded with the day. We, we blanketed their posters as best that we could. And, you know, we we, can, we set the tone for the day in a positive manner and continued. And after our initial opening ceremonies, which included Jason Thorne and the mayor at uh, Tim Horton's field, um, immediately thereafter, we were greeted by 40 uh, protesters slash vandals. Uh, and I'm hesitant to use the word protester because, you know, that's not entirely what they were doing there. They, they uh, were destroying property. They had uh, surrounded the buses or blocked the buses. They vandalized the buses. They had chased the bus drivers off. And, uh, and then they were, you know, they were there with their, ma- their faces were masked, and they had signs that were anti-gentrification, uh, you know, developers are scum. And, you know, there's some profanity, which I won't say on air, that they shared in their posters as well. And, you know, I I did my best alongside uh, a few of our uh, incredible volunteers to try and contain the situation, but unfortunately it escalated rather quickly, and uh, the group did assault one of our guests. And then uh, when the two officers, we only had two officers who arrived in time, uh, when they attempted to arrest the individual who who had assaulted our guests, uh, the, the group swarmed them. They, the, the, the police officers stood no chance and they were able to get their friend uh, out of handcuffs then they took one of their hats, uh, one of the police officers' hats as they uh, departed. Wow. And, and since then, uh, I have become even more acquainted with the group as they continue to you know, speak of me and my organization uh, in blogs and articles and uh, target me online. And more recently, last year, they vandalized my office And on, on the anniversary of her first event. And they also vandalized in the same evening uh, an office space on uh, Cumberland uh, for which I had previously had listed.
0: What do police say about this?
1: Well, you know, um, we had a conversation. So, so after the, the the vandalism that took place last June, um, you know, it, it encouraged me to you know try to organize some individuals as far as collecting evidence and you know uh, and, and looking to the the city and looking to the police for support. So this is entirely what we did. We we, we took up that charge, and finally we were able to sit down with um, some police officers and representatives from the city in September. And at first, um, it was very clear that those that were represented the city and the police uh, were incredibly ignorant to the multitude of incidences that have been taking place on Barton, on James, on Cumberland towards me. Um, and that had been going on for uh, well over a year. So we enlightened them to that. And uh, it, what we felt was, in that room is that we were met with more defense than support. Um, you know, and, and towards the end of it, I, I, I was... I f- I discovered I was the only one that uh, remained optimistic because I felt that, you know, there was a turnaround, you know, especially when Counselor Green um, demonstrated that he, you know, he was willing to work with us, uh, albeit he wanted to make this a feminist issue, which it's not. Um, it's, it's, far, it's far different than that. Uh, but he did say that he would meet with me and we would discuss this, and I followed up with him several times, and I, I heard nothing more from him. And then with the police, when I met uh, with the... Uh, With the sergeant um uh, shortly thereafter uh he immediately became defensive uh as opposed and i you know and in that meeting with him i tried to demonstrate to him that i'm not i am not an enemy of the police i want to work with them and this is uh an issue that affects our city and we need to as you mentioned earlier we need to stop becoming divided because that's entirely what they're trying to do we need to come together and work on this
0: so where was councillor green on this was he supportive of you or not
1: no, he was not.
0: And in, no, in we, we were
1: met with quite a defense from him. Um, and uh, to paraphrase, you know, he said something to our investors in the room that if you're going to buy cheap real estate on Barden Street, you know, you, you can expect some windows to be broken.
0: Wow. Um, what does this group want?
1: Well, you know, I... I and we, we've
0: to... tried to reach out. We're trying to find as much out as we can. Uh, 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 the Tower on Cannon, all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, nobody's speaking. But, you know, we're trying to figure, other than, of course, the <laughs> the verbal uh, assault you hear on or you see on social media. Right. So, so uh, anyway, I interrupted. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: Um, well, uh, to answer your question as far as what does this group want, you know, and this is a question that I have been looking to answer over the last few years now, and uh, where the answer that I've come up with, now, now keeping my eye, I've spent hours combing through their social media and trying to become familiar with this group, you know, to see if perhaps they were coming from a position where they they were effectively trying to engage on a, a major issue of concern, and... What uh, I, su- I surmised was that instead, um, I think they're looking to cause chaos. Yeah. I think that is directly what
0: you know, their initiative is. I had someone on the show yesterday, and they made reference, like, this is what's happening with the extreme right. And then the more you examine this and, and, and the anti-establishment, anti-capitalism, mm-hmm. it's the opposite. It's like an extreme left, and, so and my parallel. point, my point, absolutely, absolutely, and that's my point in all of this is it's not a left or right issue; it's an extremist or normal issue, yeah. And yeah. and they're trying to paint it as such, and those on the left and the right are are buying into that and saying, no, it's that guy, no, it's that, it's like, no, 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 it's the extremes in either, mm-hmm. in both, yeah.
1: And, and you know, and no matter where it is or where they lie, their behavior is unacceptable. You know, I, I, I would ask them.
0: But do they have any sort of political stance at all, or is it just anti-capitalism, anti-establishment?
1: That's, from my understanding, from my acquaintance with the group, that is entirely what they are.
0: So yeah. is it more socialistic? Is it more socialism? More communism? More leftist? More what?
1: Uh, I would say more leftist, yeah. um, you know, and it's and it's interesting because there are there are some things that that group does, you know, going through their Facebook where I agree with them, and I, you know, had they not had this other subsection of their group, I would support them in their beliefs.
0: But, but it's, it's extreme.
1: It's yes, once yeah. you get into that subsection of extremism, then it becomes too much, and it becomes unacceptable, and it becomes misdirected, and there's no productive outcome from it.
0: So um, how has this discussion changed now after what's happened on Locke?
1: Well, it, it's changed for the positive. As unfortunate as the events were that occurred on Locke, you know, and, I, and and in my heart, I was, I, I was fearful of this. Um, and we demonstrated this to the police in that meeting that, you know, they were escalating towards this and they were mirroring what was happening in Montreal last year. Um, but at least what's come from this is that the community is now getting an education on who these people are. And the community, we have a, we have a fantastic community here in Hamilton. You know, we, uh, unlike any, like this is the first place I've ever truly called home. And it's for good reason because there's such a sense of collaboration and support that exists here. So, you know, you could see evidence of this now since the, the events on Saturday. And it's led to this, right? Now we're having a conversation about it. Now we're asking who, who's doing this, why are they doing this, and what are we going to do about it?
0: What can you tell us about uh, Tower on Cannon?
1: Um, so what I know about them um, is that they, uh, they're they a membership-driven group, um, that, ex- and they're on the Cannon. Uh, we have been able to identify a few of their members, that uh, tend to act in uh, at the top of their hierarchy, um, and we and, and I'm not going to mention who they are now because I'm I, I'm hoping that Hamilton Police will work with us uh, in identifying these people and pursuing these people. And, and well, and
0: they've certainly got everybody's attention now, so Absolutely. this ain't, this ain't going away anytime soon.
1: Absolutely, and if anything, I would say Hamilton Police, this is a great opportunity to take charge of the situation and, and do the community a favor right now. And, and
0: Well, considering how long this city has been, you know, in the dirt, fighting, trying to rebuild this city and to have mm-hmm. people just want to tear it down because they don't, they have no alternative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, you got a cause, come on out, we'll talk about it. But this is just bizarre.
1: Yeah. And the, I don't believe that these are the types of individuals that are open for dialogue. You know, I, No, they're I,
0: extremists. Yeah, They're on exactly. the fringes. They're not the majority. They're not the middle majority.
1: Yeah. Which is so, unfortunate because... You know, I, because I, the middle I,
0: I, will give them lots of opportunity to uh, improve themselves, that's exactly. for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what about yeah. the
0: book fair and that whole relation? Why are they so hostile towards everybody?
1: Uh, well, the book fair was an anarchy event. It was put uh, put on by the Tower. Um, so it's no surprise that it took place, that this took place on the same weekend as the, the book fair. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised as evidence comes forward that this was actually, I mean, I'm sure you saw their promo video and what they were promoting in their promo video was this type of violence and this type of vandalism. So I wouldn't be surprised that through their underground channels, the book fair was actually uh, a means for individuals to come in from out of the city, which I do believe that some of those individuals that were out there on Saturday were visitors to the city, Mm. because uh, from what we saw evidence of in Montreal and other areas in the country, um, there are Uh, these individuals who do travel on a circuit and they move throughout different cities throughout the country uh, in order to come in Using
0: capitalism to fuel their ideas
1: Exactly (laughs) It's
0: It's so ironic, it's unbelievable
1: No, the irony Uh, is uh, sick on this one You're listening to The Scott Thompson
0: Show weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Oregon has become the first state since Parkland, Florida, the shooting there to pass gun control uh, laws. Uh, The bill they passed prohibited domestic abusers from those under restraining orders from owning firearms. Meanwhile, the Florida Senate has voted against arming most classroom teachers. To talk more about all of this, Robert J. Spitzer is with us, Ph.D., Distinguished Service Professor, Department Chair, Political Science Department, SUNY Cortland, and is with us now. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Sure. Good to speak with you. So, Robert, let me ask you, when this first happened and then, of course, uh, the high school students started protesting, this discussion appeared to be taking a different tone than in the past. How has it changed to this point?
2: well it's not clear exactly how if at all there will be major changes you're right that the the debate is different the nature of the debate is different in large measure because of the role played by the students and we are seeing indeed quite a bit of action there's a lot of pressure on the u.s congress to act, although I think it's abundantly clear that no matter how much pressure there is, even if there are, forgive me, a hundred mass shootings next week, the current U.S. Congress will not move in any way on any significant gun measures. That's not anything uh, new; is certainly predictable. But in the states, there's been quite a bit of action. And you mentioned Oregon, uh, acting quite rapidly. There are at least a dozen states that are considering stronger gun measures now. Florida has moved ahead with a bill that is kind of, it takes from, uh, the play bill, the, the playbooks of both the, uh, gun rights people and the, uh, gun safety people. And they have cobbled a measure together that, uh, certainly has some provisions for everybody in it. And it that looks like a bill that the governor of Florida, Scott, will sign.
0: So, let's go back a couple of days, and we all remember because most most people were standing with with their mouths hanging open when the president was was sitting with uh, both sides and said, "You guys are scared of the NRA And you know, we have to look at things like age and and so on and so forth. I mean, um, people on both sides were stunned. Uh, how do you go from there to a meeting with the NRA and then crickets? Um, won't those kids hold him to what he said in that meeting? Well,
2: I think they will. I certainly think they want to, and they by all accounts they plan on keeping the pressure up. They have sc- They have scheduled a march for in uh, March in Washington for late March on this issue we'll see how many people turn out and how big a splash it is but the thing about president trump is that if you look over the arc of his time as president uh, and in fact during his campaign he's come down on many different sides of many different issues It's right. not unusual at all for him. Let me ask you this, though, Rob.
0: You're absolutely right, Robert. You're absolutely right. He flip-flops all the time, depending on who he has talked to last. That being said, a lot of that is politics. It doesn't affect the average American. It kind of gets lost in the sauce of a 24-hour news day. This is something that really resonates with Americans, I'm guessing, from what I've seen. So is this different? Because it is more of a social policy. It is something that involves the people, as opposed to you know your politics on free trade, this, that, or the other.
2: Well, you're right in the way you set that up. Uh, The thing is, uh, it's not clear that Trump is going to stick with that messaging from that one meeting that he had where he talked about, for example, raising the purchase age for uh, long guns, or at least for assault weapons, to 21. The NRA is against it. He met with them with two of their leaders after that, and he seemed to be back in their camp. Um, but it does raise expectations and the possibility that something could happen. And uh, you know, it's it's. But the ball is really in everybody else's court because it's not an issue that Trump is going to seize and push uh... to congress or through congress he's not really done that with anything much more his habit is to kind of say what he's for or against and really let people leaders in congress or other institutions pick up the ball and decide what if anything to do
0: What is the NRA's relationship with Trump at this point? Um, It obviously is flip-flopping back and forth as, as much as anything else. Where does that relationship lie, especially, as you mentioned, with the rest of the Republican Party? Well, I'm
2: sure it's basically where it has been, by and large, despite the few things he said that they didn't like. The thing about Trump is that he doesn't care that much about policy, and that partly explains why he jumps around on so many different issues what he cares about more is personal loyalty and people who sort of swear their loyalty to him which the nra did during his presidential campaign they gave him thirty million dollars they endorsed him wholeheartedly they still cheer for him whenever he speaks to them or speaks to uh, crowds of people that include uh, gun rights people. So I, I think one thing that is clear is that there's no real daylight, at least not in any enduring or policy sense, between him and the NRA. That, that link will, will remain
0: very strong. Can uh, Trump play, uh, you know, sit on the fence between two parties and, and say, hey, it's up to those guys to work it out as if he's not part of this mix?
2: Uh, sure, he can, just because he's done that with many issues yeah, in the past, yeah. even for his own tax bill, which he you know it was a, a major thing he wanted to do, he really kind of batted the responsibility mostly to congressional leaders. He simply has not assumed the mantle of legislative leadership in the way virtually every other modern president has. That doesn't mean presidents can dictate to Congress and Congress just slavishly uh, obeys what the President wants. But the president uh, President Trump has really mostly been out to lunch, and he he operates much more like a sideline commentator saying, "Well, that was a good move today." and that congressional leader did a bad job, and this one is uh, is doing a good job. he's he, he, He's like a sideshow commentator. Mm. He's really not an active participant in the way recent, recent past presidents have been in the legislative process.
0: All right, let's talk about Oregon. What did they do? Uh, what's significant about the the changes they have made?
2: Well Oregon uh, and a- acted very quickly as you said at the start of your setup uh, they they in- instituted a ban a uh, gun ban for people who were convicted of stalking and domestic violence or who under a uh, restraining order from buying or owning guns and that kind of measure is one that has even before the shooting from a few weeks ago that sort of measure is one that uh, one of the few in the gun issue that has begun to link uh some gun rights people with uh, gun uh, gun safety people because there is growing evidence and a lot of it that people who not just people who commit mass shootings but uh, other uh, murders and attempted murders as well are directly tied to domestic violence to domestic disputes that got out of hand to mostly men who are abusive in their relationships with their spouses with their uh, significant others with their family members and there even some uh, pretty conservative states have enacted measures to get a to, to sort of move in this direction so it is to a great degree a bipartisan supported measure, although the vote vote in the Oregon legislature was, you know, pretty much along party lines. Um, But it was a sensible move because there's a lot of evidence that shows that this is one area where policy can really make a difference. And, you know, what's the good in who, who would defend allowing domestic abusers to have ready access to guns, considering how often they're used in abusive
0: relationships? So, uh, is this a starting point? What are your thoughts on this? How big a deal is it, the fact that they have done this, other states following? Well,
2: I, th- I think it's likely, well, in fact, we know that several other states have, are pursuing similar measures, and it is a green flag, I think, to other states to at least consider this measure, because even states that are fairly conservative can enact a measure like this, where there really is at bottom bipartisan support that this is a good thing to do, and it may help to overcome some of the uh, reluctance or fear on the part of more conservative state legislators and state governors that they could at least enact this measure. It would allow them to say to their states, look, we are taking an action against uh, gun violence that should be regulated and uh, that can be helpful without infringing on basic gun rights. So I I do think it's one kind of measure that we, we... are seeing and will continue to see being pushed in a number of states around the union.
0: Why is this a land of extremes? Why is this a discussion of extremes? I remember one girl uh, during the, the, the protest that followed the shooting that stood up and said, we're not trying to take your guns. I'm paraphrasing here. We're not trying to take your guns. We're just trying to come up with some rules. Uh, why yeah. does, can the NRA keep this all or nothing stance? Well, it's been pretty successful for them, and
2: frankly, they've really boxed themselves into a corner that has put them in a position where all or nothing is their default response anytime there's a movement like the one that's underway right now, because they speak to their base, they feed their base, and they've been feeding their base a steady diet of dark, uh, extremist, apocalyptic rhetoric about how uh... the government's gonna come take their guns away and deprive them of their rights any minute they've been saying this kind of stuff for over twenty years to their membership so any instance where they try and seek, uh, uh... compromise or conciliation is met by fury from their own uh... gun base because of what they've been telling their gun base for years and years and the other part of this is that the nra itself is very much uh... aligned with and has and its base is very much Uh, 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 instrumental to the Republican Party base. And the Republican Party itself has moved ever more to the right, become ever more extremist, ever more homogenous. So you really have this convergence of the uh, gun rights base with the Republican Party base, and that has magnified their influence because, after all, the Republicans control uh, both branches of government in Washington, D.C., and it, it uh, pushes them to be and assume this very radical posture, and uh, the threat of, of running a primary against a Republican who otherwise might be a conservative but might want to compromise on the gun issue is, is almost by itself enough to keep a lot of lawmakers in line.
0: So with the NRA taking this stance that they traditionally have through fear and, and and that sort of thing what does it do to them when Donald Trump stands up and says don't be scared of the NRA I mean thats well, sort of that sort of flies counter to what they're the message they're sending
2: it, it sure does but it can be dismissed as a blip on the screen if he doesn't keep this up as a regular part of his messaging and the odds are that he will not keep it up because they you know the leadership can say oh don't don't mind that. He was just uh, speaking extemporaneously or he got some bad advice. or There are 50 things they can, that uh, the gun rights people can say to their base to uh, essentially dismiss the one comment by Trump or that one meeting. I mean, if Trump continues along these lines, which he has not so far, wow. that could begin... To, be, uh, to, to cause some daylight between him and uh, the gun rights people. But I don't think he's going to do that. It's not consistent with who he is and how he behaves. And remembering that he flip-flops on, you know, you pick the issue, um, I, I just think it it'll it, it rapidly fades to the background as, as time goes on. Is that,
0: what, is that what has happened here, Robert? Has this been lost in the sauce? I mean, now the big tariffs and, and all of this sort of stuff, it seemed to push all of this to the back burner, or is that by intention?
2: well it, it may be by intention but it clearly other issues have pushed it to the back burner just as you're suggesting the tariff issue is the latest one plus you have a whole other set of issues the ongoing russia investigation uh, complaints about conflict of interest problems with many of bush's top appointees i mean the news is literally filled on a day-to-day basis with headline stories that any one of which would be a major headline for any other presidential administration but in the Trump administration, these headlines come day after day, and they rapidly push aside uh, the previous day's news, even though that news may be very important.
0: So is the whole gun issue out of Donald Trump's mind right now, do you think? Do you think that the kids uh, have, have lost his attention?
2: I think they probably have, at least for now. Let's see what happens with their march later in the month. Um, and if, and in some manner, the uh, students and their allies are able to keep this issue to the forefront of the nation's attention and even more importantly if they're able to really push it into the fall midterm congressional elections where the entire house of representatives is up for election and one-third of the united states senate that could be a significant change because the republicans clearly own at the national level the position of doing nothing on this issue there is no they can't point to anybody else to push off responsibility so if to some degree it can be a referendum on this issue. It could be a decisive issue in the fall campaign, but that's a big if because November is a very long way
0: off. So you don't think this will be front and center there?
2: I think it's unlikely, but I think it's possible, Hmm. just based on how this political pattern has unfolded at similar moments in the past.
0: What about the Florida Senate voting against arming most classroom teachers? Will this issue, this angle, keep this alive?
2: I think it will. Of course, that bill includes a bunch of other measures too, where they're putting some money behind their word, their words, you know, include mental health training, crisis intervention teams. Um, they are going to allow in this bill uh, other school personnel to bring guns into school, per, uh, uh, administrators, for example, and there is a provision to allow teachers carry guns in certain circumstances i believe uh, depending on the final version that emerges and if it's signed by the governor um, so there already are sc- states where teachers are allowed to carry guns into schools under certain circumstances so it's not precedent setting in that respect but it's a very very uncommon thing and teachers across the country along with administrators by and large are pretty much uniformly opposed to to that idea so uh, Uh, the Florida bill is kind of nibbling on the edges of that. And that may encourage some other states to push a little further, too, in terms of guns in the hands,
0: perhaps, of administrators or a few selected teachers. Robert, why does the NRA not meet, forget even halfway, even a quarter of the way here? Um, You know, uh, why don't, where's the balance between rights and common sense? And would this not Work towards uh, uh, helping their their image and promoting gun safety and and build their membership.
2: Well, it could well serve that purpose for them. But the problem is they've cast they've sort of pushed all their chips into one sort of very narrow spot. But is that where the is, majority
0: of those chips are, Robert? Now, do you think?
2: Well, uh, th- 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 those chips right now are with their base and constant messaging there you i mean i think that, that what you're suggesting is something they certainly could do they could indicate you know some approval for some limited measures but here again when they've attempted to do that in the past which they did in the spring of 2013 for a period of time when they actually worked with a couple of uh, senators to craft some legislation that did include uh, some stronger uh, gun national gun measures but also fortified gun rights and did other things Uh, when word got out that the NRA was participating in that process, they were pilloried by the gun people around the country who accused them of selling out. And they rapidly did an about-face and turned on the bill that they had helped craft, and they killed the bill.
0: What about Uh, if the president is behind this sort of thing, though? Because at the end of the day, if you don't get a Republican president to do this, who the heck is going to? So, I mean, are not you you better to have what you have than lose what you have? Well, I, I would agree. And if they could get Trump... Behind some
2: kind of limited measure that would, you know, theoretically be acceptable, yeah. that would give them some cover. It mm. would allow them to do it. But th- the thing is, that's really not at odds. That's really at odds with who Trump is, how he has functioned as president. And uh, I just, I, I just, frankly, I don't think he cares all that much about the gun issue. He cares about the loyalty, about the money and support, about the uh, uh, the uh, attention that they give him. A lot more than he does, I think, about the policy. I mean, up until about a decade ago, Trump supported stronger gun measures uh, of several varieties, including an assault weapons ban. And now he's obviously, you know, not there. Um, So uh, the policy lure, the idea that it might be a good idea, I think, is pretty low on Trump's list of how he decides what he's going to do.
0: Hmm. Robert J. uh, Spitzer has been with his Ph.D., Distinguished Service Professor, Department Chair, Political Science Department, SUNY Cortland. Robert, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Sure. Good to talk to you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHL. Lots of chatter about sexual harassment, the whole Me Too movement has literally changed the way we view uh, this topic and and how we treat each other uh, in society, starting, of course, with the whole Harvey Weinstein scenario and uh, and the Me Too movement and what happened in Hollywood, then, of course, made its way into politics, private industry. But for some reason, the music industry and whether it's the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll thing, I'm not sure. Um, the, the whole misogyny discussion seems to be absent uh, in some areas of the music industry. Uh, the band Headley, of course, which has been under fire of late uh, with allegations of sexual misconduct, have had their management company drop them, uh, as well as uh, radio stations stopping to play their music. Um, and, and they deciding, uh, after this current leg of the tour is done, that they will uh, they will take a, uh, an indefinite hiatus to try to figure out uh, where their own lives are and um, and how perhaps misguided they've been over time. Uh, that being said, why is it affecting other parts of life and not this? Uh, Headley has a scheduled show for tonight here in Hamilton. Uh, no protests or anything like that scheduled. Um, And that's fine. Um, But it was a different scenario when Bill Cosby uh, came to town. So what's the difference between what's the difference between these two issues? Uh, Do they not speak to the same to the same point, to the same need for discussion? Let's bring in Lenore uh, Lukasik-Foss, director of SASHA, the Sexual Assault Center of Hamilton area and is with us now. Lenore, thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this.
3: I'm always happy to be on your show. Thanks for having me.
0: So, what? How do you explain the different reaction to this and other? And, and before we get to the Cosby scenario, l- like even uh, the Me Too movement in Hollywood, uh, obviously things have changed there. Not as much so in the music industry. Was that? Would that be an accurate assessment? Well, I, you know, I
3: think of it. <laughs> I think, for sure, at this point, um, it hasn't had as much attention, but certainly what we we have seen within social media and other kind of alternative media formats, we're seeing um, things happening where people are talking about this person's behavior in this band or this person is known for these things. So there seems to be some of uh, the more unofficial channels where um, I mean, really, this has been going on for years and years, anywhere, where, anyways, where women are giving other women warning or sharing, uh, hey, heads up, there's a concern about the, this person and their behavior. We're certainly not seeing the same kind of attention like we've seen in Hollywood. I don't know that that may not happen. I think that there's a possibility that we may start hearing some more concerns about behaviors. Because you know you can live a really rock and roll lifestyle and not sexually assault people, and like I think those things you can you can you can engage in as much wild sexual activity as long as it's consensual, and I think that that that's very clear the line. Um, Certainly, that we draw is—it's not about the the sexual activity; it's about consent.
0: Is that perhaps why uh, this industry views it differently than others do? In the sense that it's—I mean, it's—it's no issue; it's its its no uh, secret that it's a hidden, uh, certainly not hidden, that it's—it's a wild lifestyle. Uh, Because that is out on the in the open. Do you think people are more? Uh, aware of it, therefore uh, communicating these things and, and, and making sure that that there is consent.
3: I, you know what I I I would love to believe that Scott. I actually don't think that that the rock and roll world has a has a better handle on getting and receiving consent so is it just more acceptable
0: is the are these offenses more acceptable i would be i
3: would be worried that that might be the reality is that that there's this because we live in such victim blaming times right now anyways still and i know that some listeners may disagree but oh my goodness that's certainly what we see and hear all the time in our center and, and experience um you know, I th- I think that there may be uh, greater uh, difficulty coming forward for some survivors where people will say, well, why were you with them? Why did you, well, you know, you know, you knew this person was wild. Why did you get, you know, get involved with them? And even, you know, the kind of uh, pushback we saw for the woman who came forward um, to a news uh, uh, outlet regarding Headley, they were like, well, you know, you knew you're going there for sex. Uh, And she admitted, yeah, I was going there to have sex, but consensual sex and to consent to certain things and Mm. other things being off the table. And you kind of see the reaction she's getting. It's not, there's not a lot of love from a lot of people there. Uh, She's had threats. Um, Like, it's stakes are really, really high still for survivors to come forward. You
0: bring up a very valid point here, Tholenore, and and this is one that, that maybe needs emphasized, is this is not about uh, the wild, um, nope, behavior that is, that you, we just assume is associated nope. with, you know, uh, the music industry. This is about consent. That's two, about consent. That's Absolutely two totally not. different things, isn't it?
3: Two totally different things. Cause in fact, sexual assault is, is what, what's really confusing for folks is that sexual assault is about power. It's about ha- being dominating and that sex is the tool, but you know, it's not, it's not, it's not about the sex, and so in fact, we are really sex positive at our center. You know, if, it, if it's consensual, great. You know, if you're into whatever and it's consensual, um, you know, that is fine as long as you have consent, and the, uh, these are two different things. So that's why I'm really clear. Um, and I want I want folks to understand that this is not about saying, you know, that you can't be wild and have a great time and be rock and roll, but you have to make sure you have consent. And that the pretty person or people that you're engaging with, with the activities in are consenting to everything all the way along.
0: Uh, so that whole argument about going backstage or, or hanging with groupies, that really doesn't cut it here. It's not about no. that at all.
3: No, no, because again, like, as, if, if you're hanging backstage and – you want to engage in sexual activity, in whatever it looks like with, with that person, that's no problem as long as you're okay with it. And, you know, saying no, crying, being, you know, passed out drunk, those are not consent. Those yeah. are not situations of consent. But as long as it, you, you have consent, it's totally okay. So that's why I'm, you know, really having a hard time under, why, you know why people aren't understanding um, that this is not about attacking a certain lifestyle; it's just about saying, "Hey, you, you got to have consent." Why aren't we? Sure it's why aren't
0: we making that distinction, Lenore? Or are we are we just assuming because it's a wild lifestyle, consent isn't needed?
3: Yeah, I mean, and I I think that's a good. I I wish I understood better. I mean, I think Scott, it's why uh, a lot of. People who do sex work are often at higher risk of getting raped or sexually assaulted in other ways. Cause the idea is, well, you know, they're, they're, they're selling sex. So yeah. of course they consent. No. You, so you because know, they,
0: you're, just because you're promiscuous, it's just expected that you're going to be taken advantage of.
3: Yeah. And that is absolutely incorrect and, and, and also illegal. Like it's just, it, yeah. it doesn't stand up by law. And it also is just not okay. Like, like ethically in our, in our community.
0: So why the different reaction to a show like a Cosby show and then a Headley show?
3: Um, There should absolutely be no different reaction. In fact, uh, we should be out there in full force. It's just... Um, I, c- I certainly can't speak for everyone, and I actually don't know if there will be a community protest. I just know that the Women Abuse Working Group has not been able to organize one simply with time. It's just a timing thing. Um, I can certainly say, um, I know for our organization, we've just had uh, one event that's finished. We have another event coming up, and we only have six full-time staff And so we don't have capacity. It was just truly, we want to do this. We just can't Um, because there's, you know, we're, you know, we have a massive wait list and, and a massive number of calls on our on our crisis line. So our organization is kind of sinking under Me Too right now. We are, we just can't keep up. So we had to make a decision that we couldn't lead it. Uh, and I know the Woman Abuse Working Group, many of my colleagues are in the same situation. They're just swamped. And the other factor that was Bill Cosby, we knew a couple months in advance that Bill Cosby was coming to town and right. these allegations were out there. Headley, this is just last week is really when we started to understand, um, what was going on around concerns with the behavior of particularly the lead singer. So it just, it was just, a, it, my sense is it's truly just capacity, but they're, my wish and dream is that we would have a very, you know, large but peaceful protest for survivors to let survivors know that in our community we're we're standing with them.
0: When you're talking about the music industry, how do you balance misogyny and consent? Because you know, consent's one thing, but also respect and in treating people uh, the way they needed to be, they should be treated, oh, and absolutely. and the and language used.
3: Totally related, like. We know that a culture that has misogyny or that has, sometimes people call it toxic masculinity, like so really, really bad images of how men are supposed to behave and how women are supposed to behave, um, that that very much leads to a a culture that doesn't have consent, that doesn't value that. So, yeah, I mean, we absolutely have to unpack that. And I know Headley, you know, some of their stuff has been known to not be um, respectful of women in terms of their videos, etc. So, I, you're right. I think it's a it's a real hornet's nest, and it's one that I think we're ready to start talking about more and more these days.
0: Is this just the tip of the iceberg? I mean, you know, uh, I'm watching the Grammys a few weeks back, and um, you know, you know, at one point during things like Golden Globes, they're wearing uh, roses, this, that, or the other to stand yeah. by their cause. You didn't really see much of that. Uh, at the at the Grammys, how do you think this is gonna change music? I mean, especially things like hip hop and such
3: yeah, well I and mean, we certainly know. Uh, I want your your uh, listeners to know it's not just hip hop. There's some no, really no.
0: awful like. But it's the most music. popular form of music right you're now. Right, you're I right. I mean, I okay. you know I got two young kids. I hear it all the time. It's like uh, I know, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
3: but I know I I just always remind people that there's some really misogynist country lyrics too out there. But
0: anyways, um, yeah, that's think, a valid point, Lenore. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, because yep.
3: like, uh, I, I I definitely hear that too. So anyways, I, I think. I hope this is the tip of the iceberg. I really hope that we, we have taken the lid off, that we're not going to try to jam the lid back down. I think we are, I, I think our community is understanding that sexual assault and sexual violence are related to how we treat women, how we view women and girls, how we treat boys. Because it's all related, right? Like yeah. how we raise boys—you uh, know—to suck it up and stop crying and be manly, and all those messages um, that really end up harming us all, but particularly women and kids, in particular ways around physical and sexual violence. And I and I think communities members are getting it now, and I hope it's the tip of the iceberg. I hope we see change within the music industry. You know, there were a number of performers coming forward. Um, you know, talking about their experiences of sexual violence. Um, you know, we we know that there are are many musicians who have uh, um, been charged and convicted. It's not just allegations. So I hope that we see change, and I know that there are Headley fans out there that are really angry that we are speaking up about this. I've I've, I've personally uh, had some unhappy tweets uh at me um because I've been speaking up about it but you know at the end of the day I'm I'm trying to have a voice for survivors who aren't able to talk about it for a variety of reasons for their own safety because they're still living in a bad situation you know etc
0: what does the band have to do to make this right
3: well you know this that's that's a a really excellent question i think they i wish they would have canceled their tour f- full stop because what they're doing now is saying you know what we need to look at our behavior they've they've kind of put out a statement that looks like it was written by a lawyer so it's absolutely saying yeah we did some stuff that wasn't good and we're going to review it um they won't come right out and take accountability that they treat, treated women poorly um and that they actually um uh have have done behavior that is is perhaps misconduct but all the way up to assault um I wish they would have canceled their tour um, and just said, you know what, we're going to take some time and and do some work on this, get some help, do some soul searching, make amends. Um, but you know, they're kind of halfway doing it by saying we're going to go on hi- hiatus and definitely after this tour. I think there's you can take accountability. You can say I did something wrong. Think about it. If men out there who are nervous about, oh, am I going to be next? Well, it only depends. If if you've engaged in this behavior, you probably should be nervous.
0: So what about coming out the other end? Do they need to release a statement that says, well, that, that is a little bit more in-depth than something from a lawyer, yeah. a little bit yeah. more feeling? Uh, yeah. what, what, what do they need to do?
3: I think, you know, they need to, Well, like, there's lots of things. I think talking to people around them who are good people, who will be honest with them about their behavior, who are not just going to support them and saying, yeah, that's okay, you know, bro, you're fine. I think, uh, you know, perhaps seeking counselling about talking about your attitudes and behaviours. I think doing, there's lots of paths.
0: What about talking to to kids in schools?
3: Uh, as long as they got it together, as long as they're not trying to rationalize or, like, you know, I think if you're going to go talk to kids in school, you better have your act together. You better be yeah. walking. You better set
0: be sending the right message.
3: You better be sending the right message and walking the talk because, boy, like... We don't need more we don't need more bad role models for for young folks
0: do you think more of do you think the other dominoes will fall in this industry do you think uh, yes. we'll see more of this yep I do I do think so although
3: what I what I'm concerned about is that increasingly like um, the risk for survivors to come forward that it is it is not all, you know, sunshine and Hollywood red carpets, uh, for, for the, that, like 99% of survivors who come forward, that they are not in positions of power. Um, we hear from survivors, and certainly in this Headley situation, the woman's getting threats. Like it's, uh, when, when folks who had concerns around Patrick Brown's behavior came forward, they were getting a lot, a lot of concerning, threatening, uh, uh, um, messages back. So I'm, I am... But I asked this question,
0: I, I asked this question, Lenore, and we've only got a couple yeah. of seconds left, sure. during the whole Patrick Brown thing. It seemed that the women who were complaining against Headley were getting a lot more respect than the women who were complaining against Patrick Brown. Yes. And, and my take on that was it wasn't necessarily the way that they were viewing victims. It's they viewed the story one way and not the other. And obviously, the more that are coming out and saying things... Uh, that's different than a story that's changed and and ages that change. I think there was just so many indiscrepancies around the Patrick Brown story that people didn't know what was going yeah. on. Whereas although, in this one, in this I, one, I, I, I could
3: th- have certainly Sorry. helped them if they would have come and talked to me because we know about. And also, like that, the head of the criminal law association that spoke about that. That those those things, those de- small details that change is not unusual for the yeah, timeline yeah, that we're looking yeah, at. And doesn't yeah. and it didn't discredit them. But anyway, no. I know that's a whole other yeah. subject.
0: I know. I hear you. All right, Lenora lukasik Luca, uh, foss has been with us, director of Sasha Sexual Assault Center of the Hamilton area. Lenora, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck.
3: Yeah. Thanks so much. Anytime.
2: The Scott Thompson
0: Show weekdays from noon to three
2: on AM 900 CHML.